1: Pour one more beer for me Exile means quality So savagely Best beer in all the land Brewed with a
0: loving hand From bottle, king, or can Exile Brewing E-X-I-L-E For me E-X-I-L-E Let's
1: drink Pick up a 12-pack today Enjoy your podcast time. Thank you to XL Brewing Company for being the sponsor of this podcast. I'm coming to you right now from the Xile Brewing Company studio. Steve, you would probably have the Exile Brewing Company studio slash B. And Mr. Dates, let's talk a little bit about um, some of these Big Ten network uh, tour bus programs. Rob Howe and I talked uh, last week about Iowa. We, you, you know, I can get some of your thoughts from what you uh, saw with your own eyes watching it and hearing it. Um, But let's go through some of these, catch up, and then uh, later on in this episode, we're also going to talk about uh, top 10 polls. Steve and I last year dipped our toe in the water of uh, trying to predict which teams who would be ranked the top 10 might not be at the end of the year. We actually batted 50%. We'll talk more about that coming up. Uh, And then also our thoughts on uh, Disney ESPN's decision to launch their own streaming service and our thoughts on that and how... We think it may impact the sport um, and the genre going forward. So, see, let's get to the uh, BTN Tour Bus. Do you like how I just set that up? I foreshadowed the whole show like that? This is like becoming professional.
0: I was going to say, this is almost starting to sound like a real show. What are you doing?
1: Yeah, so that's why I just stopped it right there to, you know, you go. gloss it. Um, Sparty. Start with Sparty. I was laughing, and, and I'll read some of these. These are texts that Steve sends to me as he's watching them. Um so that we can document them and go over them a little bit later on when we do the program. I got a chuckle out of your first one. Sparty getting the most glowing review for a three and nine team in Big Ten network history.
0: I mean, bro, it's over the top. I mean it's it was over the top. You know. I, I just I don't know what else to say other than if you watched it, it was over the top. I I it, you know I don't, they were like, well, oh, you know, they let. They were like, they let in every game they played in last year. Okay, well, you know, when they played us, they went. They scored on the first drive, I believe. Michigan scored like the next thirty points in a row. So I mean, i, I this network loves them some Mark Antonio.
1: Yeah, I mean, can, Kansas was tied with everybody at one point in time last year.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> well said. <laughs> well said. I, I mean, uh, okay. Uh, they're just the network just loves him some Mark Dantonio, and and hey, let's it's not like it's without good reason. Since the network was created, he's won three Big Ten championships. Okay, I mean they had four out of five years where they won at least eleven games, so I, I don't blame them to some extent. But you know, and I, I, I just thought some of it was over the top because they keep talking about how well you know we didn't see this coming last year you know we thought they were right there with michigan and ohio state when we saw them in the summertime well then they then they document how they only have seven starters returning so on the whole team on the whole team so they're like well this is you know this wasn't physical last year and so they'll be right back well one they don't recruit at the level that michigan and ohio state and now penn state do so we don't know who a lot of their young guys are, number one. Two, since the, since they have really been, until last year, probably the best developmental program in the country under D'Antonio, well, when you only have seven starters coming back, that's a much bigger number than it is for some of the other teams we just talked about, number two. And so, and number three, the practice they were at, this was the only one they've said on the entire tour— the way the schedule broke down, it was the only team they weren't going to see practice in pads. Well, I mean, okay. So, I mean, we're going to make wide-sweeping generalizations. It's one It's one thing, like, I think two years ago, Ohio State was the first team they saw, and they weren't in pads. That's Ohio State. You know what they have. But I, I don't know. I, I'd kind of like to see a team that was 3-9 and nine last year maybe hit a little bit, do something that counts before I just immediately jump to, that was an aberration and they'll they'll be a lot better. I, um, I'll, I'll give Rick Pizzo credit. He mentioned that he just thinks the job at Michigan State now is a lot tougher than the one D'Antonio walked into a decade ago. Lloyd Carr was on his way out. Jim Trestle would soon be out at Ohio State within the first few years. Penn State was about to go down and out with the Jerry Sandusky scandal. And now you're facing all three of those programs essentially peaking simultaneously and that's not even counting that you have a young up-and-coming coach and uh you know dj durkin that's competing for east coast recruits with you at maryland um you know so you've got a
1: fully functional death star right now
0: yes it's a it's a much tougher job but i i just think you know i'll just mark d'antonio clearly has worked himself into the good graces of the people on on the big ten network and that's okay because his record on the field has, is at least somewhat worthy of, of that benefit of the doubt. But I've never seen a team get a more glowing review for going 3-9 and nine in the 10-year history of the network.
1: I mean, what type of real meaningful observations can you make without hitting? You tell me. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, I don't
0: know. I
1: mean you, one, one of the you know, you didn't send me many texts probably because of that fact, and yeah. you said that they're saying that uh, Michigan State's pass rush isn't there yet, but again, how are you going how are you going to know that in shells? I I don't, well, I just, I don't get it.
0: If, if guys can't get home in shells, bro, what are they doing in pads? You know what I'm saying? Gene? Yeah, Yeah, okay? If you can't get home in shells what are you going to do when we strap it on, you know? So, uh, it, I don't know, man. I don't know. You know? Okay. Uh, okay. They've lost 12 players that were supposed to, and I'm not talking like this is LSU or Ohio State losing guys to the pros early. I'm talking on top of what they already lost to the NFL, 12 other guys that were supposed to be in this 2-D. Gone. So,
1: for the off the field stuff. Yeah. That's off a lot.
0: I mean, you got team. It's half a recruiting class. Off. Yeah, it is. You got team captains getting thrown off for dropping racial bombs. And I don't know, but we'll see. I don't know. We'll see.
1: That's uh, a gauntlet for them.
0: I mean, they, they showed a couple of young receivers, Andre Risen's kid Hunter Horizon, Cody White, who's a big time recruit for them, that receiver. But again, they showed these guys in shells, and they're true freshmen, and they they talked them up, but. Dude, they're looking
1: pretty tiny, you know Well, so. yeah, you, you talk you, you, I mean, it, that, that type of talk is no different than signing day talk mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter They're in shells I mean, these kids these days They are much more physically developed Than they were when you know we were kids, for sure So, yeah, they're going to look fine in shells But that didn't mean a dang thing um, Moving on to Iowa Again, Rob and I talked about that quite a bit uh, I'll read your tweets And you can talk about your thoughts um, B.T.N. saying that uh, Stanley hasn't distanced himself from Uyghurs. DiNardo saying this looked like maybe the most physically impressive Iowa team he's seen. Revson saying Iowa's uh, one of the better-looking line-of-scrimmage teams but thinks their schedule may be too tough. So those were the tweets that you sent me from your takeaways.
0: Yeah, I didn't. there's really no point in going more in-depth because we cover these guys year-round on the podcast, so we frankly know more about the team than they do. So... I'm 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 really was just looking for things they might be saying outside of what right. we already you know discussed with our audience from I mean, last
1: D- Mean D- DiNardo, comment saying it's the most physically impressive Iowa team that he's seen, you know, guy 1 through 105. That that was pause worthy. Sure it was.
0: Yeah, absolutely, especially when you are a developmental program like Iowa is, you bet. And when you also look at um, you know, you'll have a better idea off the top of your head than I will, how many of these guys you have coming back next year. Obviously, Akron Wadley and Josie Jewell are going to get paid in the pros. Yeah, you're going to lose, you're you're also-
1: lose all your linebackers. You're going to lose maybe, what, one defensive lineman? Um, maybe one secondary member. Both your cornerbacks will return. Um, you'll return most everybody at wide receiver except Matt Vandenberg. Return all of your uh, playmaking tight ends you're going to have. You know wadley and butler will be gone but Iowa's was pretty long and running back to you return your quarterbacks you're going to lose three offensive linemen at least and maybe four if james daniel turns pro but they are as mm-hmm. deep right now at offensive line as i can remember them being and well
0: I, I, you know what i think as long as he's the head coach there your floor at offensive line is confident i'm yeah. not really worried about that
1: yeah I, I haven't looked at i haven't looked at what their big 10 schedule is next year and, and i really don't feel like doing that right now but um uh, my guess is I may have a higher projection for them next year than this year, just because I, the schedule probably can't be worse.
0: Um, what I thought, I thought Revson's comments about the schedule. I think, and because I, I think it ties into the quarterback battle, I do. I, I think when you're looking at playing a lot of those one possession games week in and week out, um, at some point you either need a quarterback to make a play or not make a play. If you know what I'm saying. Uh, and I, so I do think that's that that's where the schedule component probably comes in to Iowa's analysis. But you know when keep in mind, Donardo is talking about how fit how impressed he is with what Iowa looks like after he has seen all the powerhouse teams in the East. And he didn't throw a qualifier on there either. He didn't say, you know, from Western, you know, you know, by West Division standards, or, you know, setting the power teams aside in the East, I was the most, in, I mean, he did not throw any qualifier in there in comparison to, because that's what I'm always looking for, is understanding that they're, they, they're not like us, they're employees of the conference, and so you know, we've kind of joked about this in the past, but there is truth to it, it is kind of the, the Big Ten Sports Information Director Tour, okay, but if you've watched these guys enough, especially now that we've got 10 years of a body of work with these three working together and doing these camps, you kind of get an idea from their body language and the things they don't or they do or do not say that you can translate and read between the lines. So DiNardo making a pretty wide sweeping statement about that, like that about Iowa's, the makeup of Iowa's team, and not putting a qualifier on it in comparison to, you know, he's already seen, other than wisconsin which they saw a couple days later he's already seen all the other th- teams expected to be at the top of the big 10 i think that's absolutely noteworthy and i think that puts even more of an onus now than on that quarterback position needing somebody to break out right. and what worries what worries me is when i hear and because this happened this is going to be similar to what we're talking about with minnesota here in a few minutes when i hear they're the same guy and one of them can't break out like this isn't JT Barrett or Cardale Jones or John Nabar and Drew Henson or you know, you know what I'm, I mean they're the same guy when they're the same guy and one guy doesn't separate himself that's when I get worried
1: you know I, I keep coming back to the quarterback in that uh, you know all the guys that are in the Iowa media that were there for the kids day they felt that it was clearly Stanley but you know Kirk was quick to caution that it's just one practice and you know, my theory back in in March was, well, they're just making this a competition so Tyler Wiegers doesn't transfer, and leaves them in the lurch with really out with without a a backup that's been in the program for two or three years. Mm-hmm. But the the longer this goes on, the longer that Kirk and everybody says it's even, makes me think that it probably is, because if it weren't even, if Nathan Stanley were clearly the guy. What kind of message does that send to the rest of your program and the rest of your team? That the, the coach is out there basically talking crazy, saying that it's even when everybody knows that it's clearly not even. I don't yeah. think I don't think that would be a good idea. So I'm kind of going to go Occam's razor here and say I think it's even.
0: Funny you should mention that. I heard a former um, Rick Neuheisel make this point on SiriusXM uh, a few days ago that. You know, coaches this time of year, unless you're just you know kind of crazy like a Jim Harbaugh, but even at Michigan, where they're not giving you and I a depth chart, they are posting one at practice every day. The players know where they stand every day. He says those sort of example, you know, crazy examples aside, every most places in America, a coach cannot, particularly at quarterback. And if there's one thing Rick Neuheisel, I, I trust him on anything, it's the quarterback position and evaluating that. And He said, you know, the one thing you can't do at this time of year is play media fun and and media skullduggery with that position. Because if one guy is clearly separating himself, the players know it before the coaches even do. And they begin to immediately they, they begin to rally behind that player before the coaches make that call. And that's usually the final clincher for the coach to make the call when they the coach follows the the lead of the players, when he sees that's who the players are rallying behind, and that's what he and, and Newhouse, that's what a coach means when when he says, "Hey, this guy's a winner. This guy's a leader. This guy has intangibles, because that matters more to a coach than arm strength, arm talent, some of those other things." Now, if you can get that and arm talent, great. But if a coach has to choose between one or the other, he's probably going to choose the leadership aspect of it. And so, Newhouse was like, "Hey, a coach doesn't get away. If if, if the coach comes out and the players know this guy is clearly better, and the coach like, oh, my position's up for grabs." Players rebel against that, and you can't risk that as a coach. So it's not, he said, don't count on it just being coach speak. And he wasn't even mentioning this about Iowa specifically, just teams in general. But don't count it just being coach speak that the coach is trying to create competition because players, the one position where they don't put up with that is at quarterback.
1: Yeah, and that makes me think of a quote that I think I recall from maybe it was the spring or Chicago, I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to Google it at some point to make sure I got it right, but I could have swore Kirk Ferentz said of Nathan Stanley that that he still, you know, once he finds his voice in the huddle, something about finding your voice in the huddle, and I think that would speak to what you're talking about, is that maybe he hasn't found that voice yet, and that, you know, for people sitting here saying, John, are you going all touchy-feely? No, I think what that means is, you know, he's not a very vocal guy, he's very shy to the media. And I don't know if he's found that that gravitas yet in the huddle with his teammates to basic because he clearly has the better you know the bigger the bigger dynamic as far as passing and mm-hmm. arm strength and things like that. But I, I don't know that he's nailed down that quote unquote voice in the huddle.
0: Well, and I think you know we're talking about a guy that is a true sophomore, and if you look around, you know. Why would Florida bring in Malik Zaire when they spent an entire year developing Felipe Franks? You know, at Michigan, where all the talk was Brandon Peters challenging Wilton Spade, and he's fallen, off the, he's fallen off the face of the earth to the point Harbaugh's not even talking about him right now. It's the same thing that you're talking about here with Nate Stanley, in that he's just, these are still really young guys that just aren't ready yet. If Felipe Franks was ready to command a huddle, they don't bring Malik Zaire in to take reps away from him in the fall. They don't do that. Mm-hmm. that. That showed you he was not yet ready to command a huddle. Okay? And that's what you're describing with Nathan Stanley. And that, that does matter. I think it matters at schools. And Jim McElwain wants to run a pro-style attack. Harbaugh, Ferentz do. I think that matters more at schools that run that kind of attack than it even, than, than it, it, it even normally does because it's not just Sandlot football. Okay, so I I think that matters an absolute lot. And I think this is where a first year offensive coordinator to boot comes in as well, because young players typically get their leadership from the coaches. And, you know, you don't have an established, ensconced offensive coordinator there either. Uh, And so that's that's a lot. You're asking the you're asking the coach's son to sort of essentially be a freshman coordinator with a, with, a, with a guy who really is, a, in many respects, a redshirt freshman quarterback who did get some actual game reps last year filling in for Beathard on occasion when he was hurt. But, yeah, I can see why that would be an issue. And yet C.J. Beathard had, has charisma, commands a room, comes from a famous family, so he's used to the spotlight, has no issue with that at all. And, and these guys that Nathan Stanley's trying to rally Are accustomed to that sort of persona So yeah, I can see what you're talking about Making a difference quite a bit, actually
1: And, and one last thing on the, this Revson schedule talk I mean, We've all talked about the schedule for a long time You, you, you kind of look at I kind of look at Iowa as I start out from an 8-4 and four perspective Historically, you know, during the ferentz Fryer, This team's like a 7.5 to 4.5 7.5 wins, 4.5 losses This is called 8-4 and four. As 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 a bar, if you if you go eight and four at Iowa, I, I don't think it's a bad season. But then you have things like schedules and, and returning personnel, and I think you do this a lot. And you know, back in twenty twelve or twenty fifteen rather, um, twenty fourteen, they had, they had what I thought was a plus two schedule or a plus two makeup from their norm. Mm-hmm. When you combine mm-hmm. the returning talent they had. Uh, At key positions and then the schedule Um, this year I think it's a minus two schedule and it's a minus two overall situation when you don't have a starting quarterback returning so that's kind of why I'm at six and six I think you're at six and six you know otherwise I think this team would be right in the mix for you know feeling better about eight and four but you know the schedule it's a minus two it's a minus two type of year
0: you're right I'll say this though two years ago i thought it was a minus two schedule at iowa state um you know at uh wisconsin um at northwestern and they went 12 and 0 all right so and so two years ago i thought it was a minus two schedule i picked them to go six and six they went 12 and 0 so there you go
1: yeah but they didn't play ohio state or michigan Or True. Penn State and and Penn State and Michigan weren't necessarily you know bad at that You're point right. in time either. So uh, right. I, I need to remind, remind myself of that. Okay, moving on to uh, the next stop on the tour, Nebraska. Um, Donato saying Nebraska's uh, reboot. Um, Griffith says the best Nebraska practice he's seen since they joined the Big Ten. Uh, Nebraska is the third youngest offense in college football. Uh, Nebraska running running the same offense and defense as Wisconsin. Tanner Lee looks right out of central casting. These are your comments, and that was your Nebraska comments. Tanner Lee, the quarterback. You know, the, the same offense and defense as Wisconsin. The same offense, I don't know about that. Um, and good luck with that, frankly. If they are going to run the same offense as Wisconsin, they don't have an offensive line anywhere near what Wisconsin has. Um, from a aesthetic standpoint or a skill standpoint, so you know I don't necessarily think that you know their coach can withstand another rebuilding year. As far as defense is con- concerned, yes, the three four, which you know you and I both talked about that. I think Nebraska could be in for you know some bumps and bruises as they as they move to that thing as well. So I wouldn't necessarily. A, agree with Griffiths or, or whomever said it was the, the, the same offense and defense as Wisconsin? That's Donardo's analysis. said schematically
0: they're doing exactly what Wisconsin does.
1: Well, to me, offensively, the defense, we've already expressed those concerns. You know, moving to the 3-4, that's, that's a crapshoot. Wisconsin had great success with it from one year to the next. I, I kind of think that that is um, a little bit of an outlier. I would expect some bumps and bruises. As opposed to a seamless transition, and mm-hmm. given that Nebraska's defense hasn't been to the salty levels that Wisconsin's was prior to their move to the three-four from the four-three to the three-four, I think Nebraska could be in for some bumps there. Although Bob Diaco is a very good coordinator, but two, offensively, they 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 won't be able to replicate what Wisconsin does with that offensive line that what we've seen the last few years. Not going to happen. Yeah, when, and
0: the stat about being the third youngest offense, that means in terms of production returning. Okay, So only two teams at the FBS level have less production returning than Nebraska does. I think they said about 26% of their offensive production a year ago is back. So that's why they're saying it's a total reboot. Now, I could make a case, though. As I, got, I, got, I was thinking about this while watching their show today. Is, is I could make a case that in, I wonder if the reason Mike Riley you know, he fires a defensive coordinator that's been with him for 15 years, brings in Bobby Diaco that obviously Iowa fans are familiar with. I, I, I wonder if he has them over a barrel a little bit now. Because when you're talking about revamping your whole program and you just hired a guy that's the highest paid assistant coach now Bobby Diaco is in Nebraska history, You have totally changed over the offense to a pro-style. And you're doing so with the the, the third third least amount of production returning, which means the team that comes back next year will be one of the leaders in production returning, and they're all going to be people that were recruited or brought in and developed for a pro-style offense. You do wonder if he has their administration over a barrel because you're not going to fire him and bring in another pro-style coach. If If you wanted to do that... You just give him another year to develop the program he has. All the guys are going to have coming back. So the reason you'd get rid of him if you brought in like a Scott Frost, favorite son, is he's a spread guy. Do you really want to go through that entire roster turnover again? Again. So if you're a Nebraska fan, I think you're really stuck right now. I think you're at the point that you're probably just hoping this works. Because if it doesn't, Even if you bring in the new hotness, former Husker guy, favorite son, and you follow the lead of, you know, bringing Tom Herman back to Texas, bringing Harbaugh back to Michigan, bringing Urban Meyer back to Ohio State, you know, those sorts of hires, he's going to need two or three years to re-recruit to that. Tanner Lee is not going to run Scott Frost offense, man. Okay, so that's a totally different system than what you're running now. So there's a lot on the line here. Probably not just for Mike Riley, but maybe the athletic director at Nebraska too.
1: So talk about you know, the Tanner Lee right out of central casting. I mean, this guy he, he didn't exactly light up the sky.
0: No, no tell you when, you when you see him and you watch him throw and you look at his at the body type, if you did not know he came from Tulane and what his stats were. You would think he's Nebraska's Jared Stidham, if you get the reference I'm making. Okay, you were thinking he's the missing piece in their program, because I mean he even he's got the he got the five o'clock he's got the 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 growth. That he looks like he could have played a, a brunette Don Johnson, a Miami Vice back in the day. He looks like if you drew up a quarterback to be a pro style face of a program or an NFL franchise, it would look like him. So then you got to ask yourself. Why the hell two lanes suck? I mean, and everybody wants to say, well, he's going to have better talent around him. Well, that's true. But he's also going to face a lot better talent, too. So it, it's a wash, right? Yeah, a better talent around him. But he's going to face a lot better defenses than he was facing every week in the CUSA. You know, so I, I, I don't know, man, I, because he looks at <laughs> the park. But what's that old Mel Kuiper line? Looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. I mean, he looks the part. Now I know he went out and lit it up at the Manning Passing a Camp last month too. So I don't know. Maybe they found something here, but you would think, logically, without having—and we're not at practice, so we have to make you know observations like this. Well, why the hell wouldn't you? Wouldn't Tulane be better if a guy's good enough to come in at Nebraska and transform their program in the Big Ten, given where the Big Ten is at right now? Then why wasn't Tulane like a 7-5, and 6-6 six six team? Why is his completion percentage like barely over 50%? I, I don't know. We'll see. That's why they play the games, brother.
1: Well, I mean, he, he, he redshirted his first year at Tulane. And then he, play, he played 10 games as a freshman and 9 as a sophomore. He threw 23 touchdowns at 21 interceptions. Hmm. His average passing yards per attempt as a freshman was 5.8. And yeah. as a sophomore, was five point nine. Ugh. Yeah. Um, Yuck. His completion. i per-
0: Iowa fan. Iowa fan. Iowa fan. I can call the plays from the stands every Saturday. Called and said, "That is way too conservative of an offense." Okay.
1: Yeah. Um. And it, so you would expect that he'd have a pretty good completion percentage then, but no, fifty three point six.
0: Yeah, I know. So, so you're dinking and dunking and you're still barely getting over 50%. Right.
1: That's exactly what those numbers would lead me to believe, having not watched much Tulane football. So, you know, that said, that said, um, you know, the, the kid, why can't I think of the kid's name from Wyoming? I'm sure I'll be. Josh fo- Allen. Josh Allen. You know, there was an article last, you know, nobody offered him a scholarship. Now look at him. So, you can have these revelations, and I'm not saying Tanner Lee won't perform well um he's got you know he's got experience there's nobody
0: offering you a scholarship and then you realize your potential with college coaching hell that's the Iowa program in the Kirk Ferentz era brother okay then there's I've already seen you play for two years against bad competition and the same guy now is suddenly going to light up a lot better competition that's a totally different dynamic than Josh Allen if you ask me
1: yeah. Um, moving on to Minnesota. your thoughts on the uh, Minnesota BTN. You know real quick, let's take a quick timeout for a sponsor break from Exile Brewing Company. We'll be back in a few minutes. Folks Exile Brewing Company wants me to tell you about a big party they're going to have. Their five year anniversary street party that's coming up on September 16th. Plenty of beer and fun will be had. As well as live sets by some very talented bands. Tickets on sale now $20 in advance, $25 at the door during that fifth anniversary party on September 16th. The brew pub is going to be closed for regular service. Entry to the fifth anniversary street party, grounds, beer hall, patio, and annex bars will be only for those who have tickets. Tickets must be purchased in advance for $20 or at the door for $25. Cheers to five years, and here's to five more. All right, as we began to talk about before the break, Minnesota Big Ten Network observations for Minnesota, or at least the ones Dace sampled and texted to me. Howard Griffith says Minnesota uh, team seems to have bought into the Fleck culture Whatever the hell that is. DiNardo says Minnesota roster is a long way away from looking like a team that can win the West division. There's a direct quote from Jerry. 55 uh, of Minnesota's players are freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Wow. Uh, Minnesota will use a two-quarterback system. Those were the items you texted to me.
0: Yeah, I thought, having watched all of these, other than Rutgers, which is irrelevant, um, I've, watched, I've watched all of these other than records, and the two teams that I thought that they came across the most negative about were Indiana and and I would and I would say even more so Minnesota. I mean I thought DiNardo went out of his way to try and clear some space for PJ Fleck on the expectations um, department for year one out of his way to do it, including that direct quote. I mean, that's a direct quote. That's pretty – now, now that not, we're not wearing our sports information director when right. we say that, okay? Um, Fleck, what, Fleck's the one who announced he's going to play both quarterbacks. Crouch is one – or no, Crouch is actually the guy at uh, Illinois, right? I can't remember who the two guys are at Minnesota now. But, but Fleck also said that there's – That's irrelevant. Yeah. He also said that the same guy. So they're not, they don't right. really, you know, it's not like one's a drop back. So it's similar to what we were just talking about at Iowa, but from a spread. Now they, now they're going to run a spread offense, and that, you know, neither one of these guys separated themselves. So they're both going to play, and they're basically the same guy. Um, and it sounds to me like, based on the roster makeup, and since Minnesota is a developmental program with th- that many young players, it sounds to me like. If Tracy Clays didn't do something dumb to get fired last December, dude was probably getting fired this December is what it sounds like to me.
1: Yeah, that's... that, that 55 freshmen or redshirt freshmen, that's that's a lot. That is a big-time number. So. It
0: is. Here's what it also tells you. Looking at what Fleck was able to do at Western Michigan where he developed that program from 1-11 and 11 to 13-0. and 0, That... If, if Griffith is right that these guys have bought into his culture, then, yeah, around 2019, 2020, they might be a real force in the West Division.
1: We shall see. On to Wisconsin. Um, true freshman is a backup quarterback. That's a yo.
0: Yeah, that's what you were discussing with were your theory of what they were doing with Uyghurs as they were concerned about having happened to them at Iowa. Right. right. That, You'd, ha- you'd, ha- you'd go from Nate Stanley to a true freshman Who's not ready to play Well that's what they have at Wisconsin right now yeah, And that's well, why one of DiNardo's comments was Quote, Wisconsin's quarterback situation Seems fragile to
1: me Unquote Yeah, fragile is you, you, Whenever the BTN guys say something like that Amplify it times 10 um, Dave Revson, very high on freshman running back Jonathan Taylor uh, Taylor went 70 yards for a touchdown Against the number one defense First play of scrimmage don't know if that's what that says exactly. Yeah. Um, the BTN guys think they'll still have a good linebacker core without Jack Sitchy, who we talked about last week. Sitchy lost for the year with a knee injury. Um, DiNardo thinks their front seven on defense is good, but secondary is down from last year. And I swear I saw an article or a retweet from, oh, Tom Diener, who's the Big Ten Network's writer, saying that Wisconsin may have the best secondary in the country.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm,
1: I'm, no, not, I'm not even joking.
0: I like Tom Deanard. I've known him for years. He used to be the head college football guru at the Sporting News. True story. I actually talked Tom into putting Iowa State and their preseason top 25 in 2005. Okay? Um, and he knows his stuff from a from a team analysis standpoint. I don't know, though, you know listen he's not been a head coach of of three major co- college programs like DiNardo has at Vanderbilt LSU and Indiana so with all due respect to Tom Deanhart i'd probably defer to to Denardo on talent evaluation yeah
1: this was from his five things i learned at wisconsin's fall practice that he wrote 2 days ago the second thing headline this may be the top secondary in the Big 10 and maybe the nation. Hmm. And juxtaposed against Jerry Donardo saying the secondary is down from last year. Well, yeah, I Nardo,
0: guess. De Nardo, De Nardo said they don't have the secondary depth they had last year. Well, I, I, I guess
1: both things could be true. That would just mean that Wisconsin's secondary last year was um, you know, insane. And I don't remember it being insane. So I agree with you. I'll roll with Donardo. But I thought that that was uh, you'd get a kick out of that little juxtaposition there. So um, I think that's it. I think that catches us up on camps. They've got um, the two the two Illinois schools yet to go. I think along with maybe Purdue. Um, mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, those are the only three schools they have left. And then the twenty uh, eighth and the 29th, they will do their division previews and. That's when you'll find out what they really think when they have to go on the record with their predictions.
1: Right. You know, there there was an item over the weekend I read as well. You know, Jim Leonard is, is a first-year defensive coordinator for them this year. Wisconsin's lost their defensive coordinator in each of the last two years. This is their third different D.C. in three, the third consecutive year. And... We talked about that quite a bit this spring and having some significant reservations. I read the article and gave it a little more thought. Obviously, you wouldn't want to be replacing your offensive coordinator three years in a row. That would be just a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Do you think you can get away with it a little bit easier on defense since we're not really talking about you know, guys having to learn a playbook to the extent that your offensive skill position players have to learn. Um, You don't have somebody throwing a ball around on defense. Your job is not to protect the ball, but stop the ball. Do do you think it's easier to navigate those waters with a third defensive? Well, I know it's easier. Do you think it's maybe we were overthinking a little bit too much on how they could really struggle with a third, third straight year of a new defensive coordinator?
0: Well, I don't think – I mean, I, we've, I think we've made a note of it. I don't think that – I think we have – I think the comments you made about Jack Citchy last week were much more alarmist about their defense than whatever we said about, you know, the new defensive coordinator. I think we've pointed it out because it is odd to go for three in a, different guys in a row, and, and Jim Leonard's also never been a coordinator anywhere in his life. You know, so he's sort of the – Wisconsin. now he has a nice pedigree – was a good player, knows the program. So in kind of he's the, the defensive coordinator version of Brian Ferentz in a way. Okay? So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, um, he should be okay. But when we're talking about the way they play offense, the lack of explosion they have offensively, particularly in the passing game, we're talking about a fragile quarterback, according to DiNardo, because you still have Hornady Brook who's developing and then a true freshman early enrollee behind him Jack Cohen who is the uh, who's the backup you know both of you and I's favorite teams played them last year when they had Sitchi, Watt um, who's the other guy that starts at the W' it a TJ Edwards actually Edwards when they when they had those three guys as their four linebackers and, and we saw you know you guys had a quarterback who's a backup right now in the NFL. Um, you know, Michigan had an offense loaded with guys that went on in the NFL. Both of our teams struggled to move the ball across the street against those guys at home. All right. We played them we, both times. We played them at home. So we saw how good the defense was. But given where they're at offensively, Jim Leonard doesn't have to be a dimini- that much of a diminishing return to have it make a difference. I mean let's let's say they go from top 10 in the country defensively to top 25. That's still really good by the way. Right? That's that's still really good, John. Yeah. But that's probably an extra loss or two because I don't think they make that up offensively with the way they play football. Right. No. Nope. So right. Uh, that, that, the, so he could still be really good for a first-year coordinator? But it wouldn't take much of a drop-off given the way they play for for it to show up in the one-loss record because they're going to play a lot of games where the first 20 one at 21 or 24 wins too, just right. like I am.
1: Right. Yep. Good point. Good point. Um, I saw a tweet earlier this week from uh, who, the guy who they call the Bear on college football game day. Chris or, Felica. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he tweeted it out that in the last six years – 10 preseason top 10 teams finished the year unranked. As a side note, six of the 10 came from the SEC um, and also USC twice. This is something similar to what you posted last year, or you, Mm -hmm. you know, in your crystal ball. And you and I made our predictions that if we were both to pick two teams from the preseason top 10 last year that we think had the best chance of finishing outside the top 25 who would they be and last year both that we, we both agreed our two picks independent of one another were notre dame and stanford well notre dame went four and eight so we got that one right and stanford was certainly scuffling there for a while so again we right now and we can do this with the ap when it comes out the ap probably what comes out tomorrow maybe Comes out tomorrow
0: at noon Eastern. Yes. Okay.
1: Well, we're not recording tomorrow. We're recording today, and we can do this again next week for the AP if we want. Um, so the coaches' poll uh, is in front of me. Um, we're each going to pick two teams, and I have my two here. Again, the two teams that we think—if any of these teams are to finish outside the top 25—doesn't mean we think they will. But who do we think would have the best chance of two teams in the top 10? Here's the poll, the coaches' poll. Alabama one. Ohio State 2, Florida State 3, USC 4, Clemson 5, Penn State 6, Washington 7, Oklahoma 8, Michigan 9, and Wisconsin 10. Now, since you're the savant and we both have played by the one bracket, I know you'll be honest, but let me go first. And I hate to do this because it just seems like I'm picking chalk, but I think that it's easy for me. It would be Michigan at number nine and Wisconsin number ten. I think the, of those two, they would be the highest percentage chance, in my opinion, of teams finishing outside the top twenty-five.
0: You're why you would well, let's cause Wisconsin's going to be on my list, so we'll discuss that when when I get my Wisconsin pick. We'll compare notes. So tell us why you think Michigan would be one of your calls.
1: Well, basically, it has maybe more to do with I don't think the other um, eight teams will finish outside the top 25. I, I just don't see it happening. With Michigan, when I look at the age and inexperience of their 2D roster, we talked earlier that, that Michigan State returns seven starters. Technically, Michigan returns fewer, right?
0: Yeah, well, it just goes to, tur- to, to, to I know, I'm saying just
1: tech. I, I, mean, so, I get what you're Michigan saying.
0: Michigan returns 14 guys that started at least one game last year.
1: Okay, but that's again. I, technically, if you look at the bowl game starting roster, you're pretty. low. I,
0: I think I think six of those, six or seven of those guys are,
1: are right. Are back. So that, and and that's that's my rationale. It's not that I think. Oh, way, I don't,
0: I don't think that's nuts. Here here, here, would, here would be my follow-up question though, because this is where preseason rankings and perception of the program do matter. Okay, so. What do you think is the worst possible record Michigan could have this year?
1: The worst record they could have? Yeah. All right. Yeah. What well, would you think they're? Let, their let, base let me hang on a second. I'm going to pull up their schedule okay. since we're going to do this 2017 schedule. Um, Florida, they could lose that, although I don't think they will, given Florida suspensions. Um, Cincinnati win, Air Force win, at win, Michigan State. It's the second loss, possibly. I don't think it's going to happen. Add in, let's say versus Michigan State or at Indiana, one of those two. So there's two. At Penn State, three. Home against Rutgers, no. Home against Minnesota, I don't think so. At Maryland, no. At Wisconsin, five. Seven and five. Was that? Okay. I seven and five.
0: All right, because to me, given their preseason positioning and the prominence of the brand, uh, that's they have to be seven and five to not be ranked. If they are 8-4, and four, they're going to be in the top 25 at the end of the year just because of where they started in the preseason and the, and the prominence of the I rank. get it. Now, uh, I, uh, that's, but, but I don't think at 7-5 and five they would be ranked. But I do think at 8-4 they would be. I,
1: I, I get that. But I, I I don't see Washington being worse than nine and three or eight and four. I
0: I told well I I can't see Washington going worse than nine and three. Penn State eight eight
1: and four is the low I can see for them. Clemson I, I agree with that. Same if in their
0: brand and where they're ranked, they would be in the top twenty-five. Yeah, I mean
1: maybe maybe USC, but I doubt it.
0: See, my two teams are USC and Wisconsin. Wisconsin, let's talk about first because of all the stuff we've already talked about. Right, and as I and I I just think, and I'm going to get ready to take a drink. I'm going to mention that again, this again this week on the podcast. Keep the streak alive. Keep the hope alive. Keep hope alive. (laughs) All right. So I I just think that last year we way overrated their schedule. This year I think we're way underrating it, way underrating it, and I, I I just don't think they have a huge margin for error. I don't, and. I, I, now I don't think so. For, for, so do I think do I think Wisconsin's going worse than eight and four? No, but because of the things I just said, and it, I think like Michigan, they would have to be at least seven and five to not be ranked. I doubt they would do that. I just think given the things we talked about, and I think their overall talent level isn't as high as all the other teams in the top ten either. Agreed. The reason I'm, the reason I'm going with USC. They were fired until Sam Darnold. Way over exceeded, including his own coach's expectations. Keep in mind, Clay Helton went through an entire fall camp, and then and then one fourth of the regular season before he started Sam Darnold. So it wasn't like you know they it, it was they watched him, they evaluated him. They didn't think he was th- they didn't think he was this good. They were as shocked as everybody else was, probably. Okay, so um, you look at their schedule. I don't like the way it sets up at all. Twelve games in a row. I don't like the fact Stanford gets a, gets to play this coming week, then gets a bye, and then plays USC. And In fact, I don't like the fact USC has to play two consecutive teams that are, gonna, that are, that are more physical than they are. Texas isn't as athletic, but Texas is going to be more physical than they are. One of the things that Rick – I listen to Rick Neuheisel do a show from training camp out there at USC – well, he's a UCLA guy. Well, yeah, but he also has a law degree from USC. And frankly, I listen to him a lot, and he does a pretty good job of being objective. And the one thing he kept saying was, this looks like a lean football team to me. I worry about them getting into a physical contest. So I, I, don't, like, I don't like the 12 games in a row. They're at Notre Dame. And, you know, they've just humiliated Notre Dame the last two years in a row. And, and if you know anything about a rivalry, that's hard to come back. When you go on the road at your rival after humiliating him two years in a row, that is a – that's an ambush waiting to happen. We also have history with this program. They were preseason number one in 2012. They became the first number one team ever to lose six six games in a season. Well, Steve, that's when Lane Kiffin coached. Say what you want about Lane Kiffin. His resume is a hell of a lot more impressive than Clay Helton's. Clay Helton's resume is one nine-game winning streak ever. That's his whole resume. Oh, and by the way, who hired Clay Helton? Lane Kiffin. Okay, he comes from the Lane Kiffin coaching tree. He got that job on an interim basis when they fired. When, when, when the, you know, so I mean, that's where he originally came to USC from. So I don't know, man. I, I don't. I don't think they're that physical at point of attack. I think they're very athletic. I think that um, defensively they didn't do didly. I just watched that Rose Bowl again the other day. They couldn't stop Penn State at all. except for one ill-advised throw where Trace McSorley tried one too many times to play, you know, go up and get it with Chris Godwin, Penn State would have won that football game after being down 13 to nothing. I don't know. So there's a history, and I've pointed out this stat too. Since 2007, the end of the Pete Carroll era, USC has been a preseason top five team three times, or four times now. This is the fourth. The previous three times, they never finished in the top 10. Or they finished once in the top 10. Twice they didn't finish in the top 20. One time they finished unranked. You know, they have a history of not living up to these expectations. So now, do I – same thing, though. We are Whether we're we're picking Michigan, Wisconsin, or USC, given all the, the power of those brands and their preseason rankings, all three of those teams would have to be worse than eight and four, and I don't see that.
1: I think that uh, the USC is a good pick. Um, I, I think that of the ten, the Michigan, Wisconsin, USC, that would be um, those would be the ones. So, and as you said, tomorrow or on Monday at uh, roughly noon, we'll have the eclipse and the AP Top Twenty Five coming out, and then we get some real football games this next week. Which will be um, a lot of fun You know I mentioned we would talk about the ESPN um, Disney Launching their own streaming service Let's hold that one for next week Um, That's an evergreen topic That that will still be relevant And and gives me a little more time To to flesh out what I want to say on it Because I actually don't think that Obviously it's significant But I also wonder If maybe we've written the um, Obituary on ESPN A little too soon So we'll talk about that thing because we're approaching an hour right now, and that's a long time for a podcast. Nobody drives an hour on their commute in the state of Iowa. So without uh, any more delay, we will put a wrap on this one. For Steve, I'm John. Thanks for listening.